Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode number 470 of the podcast. It's Carrie here. I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. Well, we are in part two of our future series, and today I've got Nona Jones and DJ Soto. We're going to talk about the Metaverse, Web3, VR Church, and what's next online and in real life. And this episode is brought to you by World Vision. You can join World Vision, David Kinneman, Danielle Strickland, and others on February 15th for a webinar discussing brand new research on the state of pastoral health. Simply go to worldvision.org slash carrypod. It's worldvision.org slash carrypod. And by leader, get your demo of their people development platform and start leading effective one-on-one meetings with your team by going to leader.com. That's L-E-A-D-R.com. And uh, well, I'll tell you, I am really excited about this series. So I came up with the idea maybe last October, November. I don't know when it was exactly. And since then, maybe it's like one of those things like, you know, you buy a blue car and then all you see are blue cars. All I hear about is the metaverse and virtual reality and NFTs and DAOs and blockchain and crypto and all of that. And so I don't know whether I was just, you know, late to the party, but here we are in this conversation. And DJ Soto has been at the party for a while. So has Nona Jones. And I'm excited for this. So we're going to bring you a few more episodes down the road on the future of the church. I've got Craig Grishel and Bobby Grunwald next time on the future of the hybrid church and uh, a little bit more for you as well. So DJ Soto is the founder of VR Church and uh, Nona Jones is the director of Community Partnerships North America and Faith Partnerships Global at Meta. And she's also an author and Nona has been a frequent guest on this podcast. So glad to have her back. And we're asking her to put her Facebook slash Meta hat on today. And DJ Soto began preaching in the metaverse in 2016, originally thinking that he was going to plant physical churches. He soon realized that a new vision to plant churches across the metaverse was maybe more compelling and effective. He is now the Bishop of Virtual Reality and MMO Church, which are futuristic church expressions that are intended to be radically inclusive and consistent with Christianity's long history of adapting to new forms of media. So yeah, we go there today. I think you're going to enjoy this episode. If this is brand new to you, hey, it's brand new to a lot of us, and I'm trying to get my head around this stuff at the same time that I am trying to help you get your head around this stuff. And some of you will know more about me than this. So anyway, uh, but that's what makes conversations fun, right? So this year, we asked pastors across North America, that is World Vision did, how they are doing. And the results of this study are sobering, but World Vision has also found pockets of hope that they believe will encourage and empower you into this next season. So you can join World Vision, David Kinneman, the president of Barna, Danielle Strickland, and others on February 15th for a webinar to discuss brand new research on the state of pastoral health and exploring a vision for ministry beyond the pandemic. Insert editorial comment here. I think the rate of change is causing a lot of uh, struggle for leaders and pastors. So together, why not get better about it? You can shepherd the church through this present moment and live with expectant hope for the future by simply registering for the webinar today. You can go to worldvision.org slash carrypod. That's worldvision.org slash C-A-R-E-Y-P-O-D, carrypod. There you go. 
And as leaders, you often feel the tension between getting the job done and the care and development of our people. And it's harder to find the balance between driving results while also intentionally developing every team member, especially with everything you've got going on on your plate. Well, Leader believes that the one-on-one meeting is the most powerful leadership development tool that a manager has, which is why they built a platform to help you. Uh, They're going to help you lead effective one-on-one meetings, develop leaders at every level of your organization, and engage and grow every person on your team. 500 churches and businesses are already using Leader to build healthy and thriving teams. They have core HR and health plans to help you better care for your team through the entire employee experience. You can get your demo of their people development platform and start leading effective one-on-one meetings with your team by going to leader.com. That's L-E-A-D-R dot com. So, so excited. Let's dive into this conversation with DJ Soto and Nona Jones. Nona and DJ, welcome. It's good to have you guys. It's great to be here as always, Carrie. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks, Carrie. It's great to be here, too. Hey, Nona, good to see you. You, too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We had discussed whether you would come on here as your avatar, DJ, which I thought was a really interesting thing. Tell me what the thinking... So you're you're, you're here as yourself rather than your avatar in uh, sort of VR church world or VR world. Uh, But tell us what that would have been like. How would that have been different? Well, it's uh, something that's like really normal to me because in my ministry, in our church, I am an avatar um, 100%. And so... Um, it's part of just coming in with a 3D representation of my physical self. And we would just, when I put on the virtual reality headset, um, it mirrors my movement. So if I turn my head to the left, my avatar's head would turn. If I raise my hands, it would do the same things. And so um, when I preach every Sunday, people are seeing that avatar and I'm interacting with people all over the world. So, um, and sometimes I do interviews in my avatar. I did one with BBC that way. Um, and it, it's a lot of fun, but uh, it is kind of new and different. And I think church leaders are trying to wrap their brain around that. (laughs) But I think our church represents what church is going to look like in 2030, where it's going to be very normal for you as a senior leader, senior pastor, teacher to preach in your avatar. I think that's where we're heading. Well, you've already uh, bent the minds of a couple of listeners anyway. So uh, I'm glad we're having this conversation. Maybe we will do that in the future. And uh, this is going to be a stretch for a lot of leaders but I'm excited. So uh, let's start here. Uh, Many people would say we're sort of at the apex of Web 2. So I've been doing a lot of research, by the way, um, just in my life, which kind of prompted this conversation and this future church series or future series. But, you know, there was Web 1, Web 2, Web 3. Who would like to narrate us? Maybe Nona will start with you through like Web 1, Web 2. Facebook is probably part of the apex of, of Web 2. And then we'll uh, talk about that a little bit just to situate us where we are uh, technologically with the internet. So this is, this is, a, this is what Web 1.0 is, uh, where you just kind of drop in and drop out. You would dial in, you would get a static you know, page where there was just mostly text, maybe not even a lot of images. Um, and it was all about content consumption. You just went to the website, you read what was there, and that was it. Web 2.0 is is really the era we're in now. So that was early 2000s until now where it was more social. So uh, you would go to a website, you could interact with the content, you could share the content, you could like the content, you could recommend it to other friends. Um, it became um, a way to make the experience more of a communal type of experience. And so I think what, what many people... 
uh, think of as the internet today uh, has in no way any type of resemblance to Web 1.0 because you would have probably been incredibly bored with Web 1.0. Now, 2.0 has your your podcasting, um, curating with RSS feeds, your social bookmarks, all of the things that we're so accustomed to, that's considered 2.0. Now, 3.0 is the era that we're heading to, and that's really about evolving from even a, a social web to what has been called a semantic web. And a semantic web um, is about uh, trying to integrate all of the various technologies that are currently available to you, whether that's social platforms, maybe that's cryptocurrency, um, all of these different technologies into a more immersive experience. And it's also about decentralizing um, the web experience, which is why you'll often hear about things like um, walled gardens online is because, you know, companies are able to have content behind pay gates, right? So companies are able to basically determine who can and cannot access information. Well, Web 3.0 is really about democratizing information and access to information. So um, yeah, that's just a quick, quick brief. And DJ, anything you want to add, I'm, I'm happy to have you do as well. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our church is definitely in the Web3 world. Um, it's definitely a, a church that represents the fourth computing paradigm. So you have the Web 1, 2, and 3, um, but there's also a conversation about computing paradigms. So uh, we, the first computing paradigm was the years of DOS. So I don't know if I'm sure there's some I listeners remember that DOS. interacted mm-hmm. with DOS. You remember they were DOS? not good okay, years. They were know, not good inter- years, DJ. <laughs> And not good years, right? And then we graduated from there into this era of the second computing paradigm where uh, the experience with the computer, with information, became tactile, became visual. Windows, the mouse was introduced, and now we're interacting at a different level. Uh, Paradigm three, and I'm going really quickly through the paradigms. There's a lot of details. Like the internet was like nothing short of computing paradigm two and blowing that up. But then paradigm three, the smartphone was nothing short of a revolution, um, just we don't have to convince anybody listening about the impact of the smartphone. And now we're entering the fourth computing paradigm, which is virtual reality, augmented reality, the metaverse, blockchain. So there's a lot of these new terms that people are like, what are you talking about? This doesn't <laughs> make any sense. It, this technology actually scares me. Uh, but it's no different than what we've been evolving through over the years, um, throughout the various computing paradigms. And it, it really is exciting. And what we're actually seeing is also a, a shift in culture in the sense of we're leaving the information age and the experience age is about to begin. And the experience age is Web3, uh, the fourth computing paradigm, and all those elements that revolve around the metaverse, blockchain, and, and you name it. Another way I've, I've heard it described, again, in my reading and research over the last few months as I've tried to get my head around What's coming is, you know, Web 1 was very static. I've heard it almost as brochures that you would look up. So think about today going and seeing a restaurant menu online. That was almost the entire internet during Web 1, right? It was not interactive. You couldn't really click. It was just like, oh, there's their brochure. Web 2 comes along. It was a lot of user-generated content. So you ended up with sites like Facebook, Nona, where you work, right? And YouTube. And the whole idea is I have a voice. And podcasting was, you know, it used to be broadcasting where you needed millions of dollars and highly paid talent. And then suddenly with a computer and a microphone, uh, you're on the internet. And some people, you know, YouTubers with a phone will have millions of followers. And so that changed. But one of the, the paradigms, and you hinted at it, 
is that um, in Web 2, which we may be at the apex of now or certainly coming to the crest of, of Web 2, is that power was consolidated. So you think about the big tech companies, Facebook being one, Apple, Google, Netflix. Um, it was kind of the Wild West in the early days, and then these big players got bigger and bigger and bigger. And Web 3 is really about um, nobody having that kind of power. Like the idea would be that it doesn't consolidate, that um, it is owned by the users. Am I getting that right about Web3, that it's much more democratized, decentralized uh, kind of thing, even with DAOs, uh, uh, you know, decentralized autonomous organizations uh, and smart contracts and blockchain. And, and even the way crypto is actually created, it's very decentralized. There's no massive organization mm -hmm. behind it. What Correct me, nuance me, help us understand, because I think this yeah, is I very think. significant for leaders. I, I think the leadership implications yes. of Web3 are unbelievable. Like we are used to being the pinions of power. Absolutely. Uh, that day's going away. Exactly. And what I was about to say, uh, what it represents is institutions becoming less relevant. And that's going to affect the church as well. Uh, how it will, that's yet to be seen. But there is that move in this particular type of technology. And it's not just the technology, it's also the attitude behind it, mm. um, where we're not going to need banks. Um, you know, we are going to be the banks and, you know, with Bitcoin and all of those things. And so what does the decentralized church look like? You know, what does um, a, a decentralized um, organization that the church is a part of. And so I, there's some conversations around that, but yes, it's going to be very disruptive. I don't, I think it's going to be more disruptive than the previous web um, and the previous paradigms. And you're right. Church leaders really need to chew on this because I think a radical tactical shift is coming uh, for the church and for church leaders. And it's, and it's not something just to look at and go, okay, that's something that's you know, in the future, we'll deal with it then. It's happening and now. I, I'd love to to give people like a concrete example of this because some people are probably yeah. like, I don't even understand what this this could be. Well, um, we we use services like Expedia, right? We use services like right. Zillow. Well, if you think about it, most of us just think that, oh yeah, of course, you know, I'd go on Expedia and book my flight and my, you know, hotel and rental car, no big deal. But what Expedia did is it actually gave you access to databases that used to be um, owned and, and operated by, um, you know, airlines or travel agencies or hotel chains exclusively. And so if you wanted to book mm -hmm. a flight, you know, you had to call the airline or go to the airport even, um, and you just got whatever price they gave you. You had no way to compare prices um, similar to Zillow. So Zillow, um, now you can really see in real time what your home is worth. You don't have to bring in a real estate agent. You don't have to bring in even a property assessor because what they're doing um, is they're giving you access to databases uh, of information that these institutions use. Um, and normally you'd have to go through them. And so I think to DJ's point, this is gonna be majorly disruptive. And that's also why for the longest time, and Carrie, we've had this conversation over and over, I've been saying, like, guys, church, if church is a building, if church is a place that you go, um, not only are you missing, at this point, 92% of the people, um, but you've missed what a church experience could be if that's, if that's the extent of the paradigm of what church is. So, yeah, those are just two examples of, even though it's in Web 2.0, just how Web 3.0 will, will show up. 
I think that's a really good metaphor. You're right. Because, you know, parents and grandparents used to go to travel agents because you just didn't hold that power. You couldn't call a hotel and negotiate a price. You couldn't, you didn't know what other people were being charged for things or how much American Airlines was compared to United, compared to Delta. Like you just wouldn't know. You didn't have access to that. And then suddenly the whole database is online. And, uh, you know, I, I feel barely qualified to do this interview. And I have done days of research on Web3 and the metaverse and all that and feel like I can't even write an article about it. So I would just say to leaders who are listening, and, and for many of you, this will not be your first exposure. But if it is your first exposure and all you walk away from with, with is a melted mind, that is about the right response when you're first dabbling into this. It's like, okay, everything I thought I knew is gone. And it's disorienting to me as well. On the other hand, if it's coming, yeah, better be ready. Because I feel like I feel like COVID finally got the church ready for Web 2.0, Web 2. And the church is like, all right, we'll go online. And now it's like, oh, and by the way, yeah, now there's something new coming. It's like... <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, I was about to say, COVID like, is an accelerator to all of this. And um, it was a little bit disheartening to see the scramble that churches were doing to try to get into this COVID era. And so um, it it is a wake-up call. And I think um, churches are doing a great job, um, at least from what I've seen, getting into it, even though kicking and screaming sometimes. Um, But I think that's going to help them to realize, okay, this metaverse, uh, this Web3, this fourth computing paradigm is really important, and we need to pay attention to it. All right, so we're going to come back to Web3 and blockchain and DAOs and NFTs and and that kind of thing a little bit later. So I'll put a pin in that. Uh, But Nona, you work with Facebook, now Meta, right? So uh, Mark Zuckerberg made the big announcement a few months ago. I I have been reading and listening for a long time. And if you said, Carrie, define the metaverse, I'd be like, ah, well, mm, mm, mm." I don't understand it well enough to do that. And in in the, the reading I've done, it is rather difficult to explain. So Nona, we'll start with you. But if you had to, you know, give your best shot at what the metaverse is, and it may be decades in coming from the best that I can understand, uh, really in its full form, what is the metaverse? Yeah, I think the simplest way to describe it is um, the metaverse and I'm going to use language that I think people can can attach to because I think that's necessary to be able to comprehend. Um, the metaverse is kind of like an embodied internet um, where you're not just looking at it, but you're actually in the experience. So that's that's the difference. Um, whereas now, you know, you may whip out your phone and you're, you know, scrolling through applications or you maybe are, you know, lying in bed and you're watching a, a movie that you're streaming. Well, uh, the metaverse actually allows you to enter into that experience. So you actually can enter into the movie. You can actually enter into the content that your friends are sharing. Maybe they're at a concert and you can actually attend the concert with them, you know, um, from, you know, five states away. So that's ultimately what the metaverse is, is it's really about an immersive experience. And I tell people the best way to experience it um, is to get a VR headset and you will learn pretty quickly over time um, how how it works. But once you do it, it makes much more sense. <laughs> mm. Oh, that's so true. Uh, Dota. I think the word you like is a key word is experience. Um, and it just, I think of like when we were casting vision for VR church and we've been at, at a few church conferences and there's like this glazed look over people's eyes 
And afterwards, for a few of them, we put them in the VR headset and the light bulb came on. So I could talk for two hours about VR church. I could show you images. I put the headset on for 30 seconds and you understand. It's kind of like the Matrix when Morpheus tells Neo, you can't explain what the Matrix is. You have to experience it for yourself. And that is so true. Um, And people get it immediately. Uh, Just a quick story. I was doing a church conference and casting vision for VR church. There was a pastor out in the audience and he told me this later. He was like, this is not good. This is not theological. We shouldn't be doing this. Didn't know that. Uh, and uh, I said, hey, you want to come to VR Church? I have an extra headset. You know, uh, we, got, we got to be friends. And so he came to church. And then afterwards, um, he actually, I brought him up on stage. So he, he, he talked about his ministry. He took off the headset and said, DJ, I need to be involved in virtual reality. So my, you know, big presentation at this church conference, you know, kind of didn't connect. But once you put it, uh, people's headsets um, and they experience it. It changes their tune a hundred percent. I put on who who just bought Oculus? Who was that? Who who bought it? Uh, yeah, Facebook, no, I Facebook, think you're, you're thinking bought, about right. Well, yeah, well, we've owned it. You're you're thinking probably about there's another platform, uh, another uh, hardware company that was just sold. I think. Oh, yeah, okay. But we, but Facebook, okay, but I could Meta, be wrong on that. Meta owns Oculus. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Because I put on my first Oculus headset a couple years ago. Because uh, I was watching this at that time, 10-year-old, like I was at a friend's house, and he's like punching the wall, punching the air. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this is interesting. And then I put it on and I'm like, oh, I see it. I see it. And like, yeah, it's it's really, really fascinating. And, you know, again, there's a great Wired article that we will link to in the show notes, DJ, that talks about your church. And, you know, we'll we'll link to all of these things that we're talking about, the show notes will be fairly exhaustive. But uh, I mean, when you actually see your church, it sort of feels a little bit like a video game, doesn't it? Is that is that right or not? Is that like a cheapening in, of it? In, in, um, in one sense it is, but um, I think that when you put on the VR headset and you're in there, it's very much a different experience and it feels real. Mm. Um, so I think it there is an element where it might feel gamey, but most of my congregation, especially early on, were not gamers. Right. Um, okay. I think the misconception was, hey, these are like millennials. And certainly we have that in our audience. But at the time when VR first came to the scene, it was pretty expensive to be a part of it. And so that was like the disposable income crowd. So mm-hmm. most of my leaders were over 35, 40 years old. And that's certainly shifted over the years. Right. Um, but yeah, so there is a gaming aspect to it, but it's not as uh, video gamey as one might realize once they come experience it. So let's stick with the metaverse for a little while. So Mark Zuckerberg rebranded Facebook as Meta. Uh, I know you don't speak for Mark, but you do work at Facebook, Nona. Uh, To the extent that you can share, what was behind that and what's ahead for now Meta? Oh, sure. Yeah, well, so zooming zooming out a bit, um, I think most most tech companies, um, whether they're, you know, Apple, Google, et cetera, uh, they tend to focus on how people interact with their technology. You know, how are they using platforms to search? How are they using this hardware in order to, uh, you know, uh, use applications and things of that nature? Um, But Meta is primarily a social company. And so, you know, at, at the core of the work that we do, it's really about connecting people with each other. And so I think making the leap to meta um, wasn't that difficult. And, and the reason why we actually did it is because, you know, Facebook is, is one of the most iconic brands in the world. Like when people think of Facebook, they think of an app. And that was one of the challenges because the company Facebook 
actually has a much broader scope. So we have Instagram, we have WhatsApp, Messenger, Oculus. We have all these different platforms. But the name Facebook was speaking to one very specific uh, app. And so I think uh, as he was casting vision and just thinking about what the next iteration of our company could be, um, it became pretty clear that because we already have so many different applications, we already have been building for virtual reality, um, that the best thing that we could do as a company um, is really figure out how to integrate them all together so that we're actually giving people immersive experiences that are driven by social technology. And so that's that's where the evolution uh, of the brand came from. And so if I, if I remember the announcement correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, Facebook is going to continue to exist as an aspect of what Meta does, but Meta then is the umbrella that takes us into the future. That's exactly right. So it yeah. can do a lot more than just Facebook. Correct. Because before, again, you know, even though Facebook was the umbrella company, it was so tightly wound to the to one of like, I don't know, seven or eight apps that we own. Yeah. And so meta helps to to really expand. And the, the word meta, I mean, there's many different definitions, but when you study the classics, it means uh, beyond. And I think that's what the aspiration is. DJ, do you have a, a take on that, on sort of the big Facebook announcement and how you would interpret it as somebody who doesn't work for Facebook and uh, and some other companies maybe that are playing in that space that you think we should all be watching? Yes, I mean, for us, that have been in the metaverse and VR for a long time. It was it was awesome. We were just really excited because um, Facebook buying Oculus was a huge moment in this whole uh, you know journey into the metaverse. And then Facebook rebranding into the meta with a focus on building the metaverse was also exciting. Um, and so yeah, I think that um, many of us were just really cheering that on and saying this is going to be great to for the exposure of the hardware, the software, what's coming, introducing the idea of it. And however long it takes before it gets here is, you know, yet to be seen. But I think those conversations are happening. Uh, particular cryptos that are linked to the metaverse are skyrocketing. So there's a lot of activity behind the scenes. So, um, you know, Google, Apple, Facebook, you know, or Meta, um, lots, uh, billions of dollars being spent. And we just haven't seen the full fruition of what those dollars are being put into. So it's only a matter of time. Um, and we're already seeing uh, jumps in the technology. So when you first got into VR, it was pretty expensive. It was, it was a little bit bulky, but now it's like half half a quarter of what the price used to be. Light, very simple, standalone. There's no wires dangling. And so even in the short amount of time that VR has been available since Oculus has been around, um, the price is getting way lower. The form factor is becoming much more comfortable. And it's only going to be a matter of time before we just you know put on a pair of glasses and we're connected to the metaverse. Hmm. Um, even avatar technology, like my first avatar was very crude, uh, very chiseled, like blocky, you know, there wasn't a lot of movement. Now it's very expressive. Um, you know, the, there's these, uh, the hand movements and the head movements, the level of technology is becoming more real. And at the Oculus conference, they did, had two avatars side by side, but one of them was real. And they said, pick which one is the avatar and which one is the real one. And you couldn't tell the difference. Because that's where the avatar technology is going. It's going to be hyper-realistic skin tones. Um, I believe, and Nona, correct me if I'm wrong, the next headset's going to have uh, eye tracking, uh, facial expressions. So um, VR is limited to head movement, hand movement, and then there's algorithms inside the experience to you know, you know, uh, blink, uh, perhaps smile. But what's coming right around the corner, and this is not the far future, is it's actually going to read your face. So all those nuances of 
human interaction that happened at a level of, yeah, you're smiling right now. And, you know, your, your eyebrows went down and your, yeah. your, your, your chins went up. And, you know, so that's, we're going to see that reflected in the metaverse. And so, uh, and, and then that just keeps going, you know, haptic suits and all these things that are, that are being developed. And we haven't seen that fullness yet, but it's coming. So does this mean, for those of us who are uninitiated, really, does this mean we'll just wake up in the morning and I put these eyeglasses on every day? I don't have contacts that I'll just throw my VR glasses on and that's how I'm going to live my life? Or is it like selective or what, what is it? There's, there's, there's different levels. Like, so there's augmented reality and then there's virtual reality. And I think it's important to understand the distinction because some people, they just think everything is immersive, you know, um, Augmented reality is really about you still being able to observe your, you know, environment, your situation, but there are perhaps some, some overlaid experiences that enhance your um, environment. So let's just say as an example, and this is just the type of vision that, you know, we're thinking about as a company. Um, let's say, you know, maybe you're walking down the street and you have on your glasses and, uh, you know, your, your dad calls. Well, you, you can take the call. Uh, through your glasses and and you can see your dad, you know, as you're walking, you didn't have to pull out a device, you didn't have to do anything. But now you're having a conversation with your dad as you're walking, similar to what we do right now when we have, you know, wireless uh, ear AirPods or earbuds in, um, but you're actually seeing the person that you're talking to. Well, you still see your environment. You're not fully immersed. Whereas in virtual reality, well, you're, you're going to be fully immersed. So that's a very different experience. Uh, I'll tell you my, uh, my son, when I got my first Oculus headset, um, one of the blessings of being a part of Meta is we get to try things out, <laughs> and so uh, I received I received a headset. <laughs> you get to bring stuff home. Yeah, we get to bring stuff home. I uh, I received a headset, you know, got it all set up, and I did just a uh, like roller coaster app because I just wanted to do something that my my kids could do. And I am not kidding you. I felt like I was on a roller coaster. Like it was that intense, and so that's a fully immersive experience. Um, but I think you're going to have levels. So it really depends on the type of experience you want. But go, go ahead, DJ. I know you're about to say something too. No, I was just going to say, I think the ultimate like vision, like, I don't know, this is years down the road, is is that it's one device. So uh, Nona described augmented reality um, and then virtual reality, full immersion, and then just overlays over the, over the physical world. And so I think we would love to see as you know, tech VR geeks one day that it's one device. So you do wake up and, you know, you see the calendar just on the wall of your, you, you place it there the night before. I want my calendar, you know, above my dresser. So you look over there, you see your calendar, it's getting updated in real time by your assistant. And then, you, you know, you walk downstairs and uh, you have a meeting, you sit down and like the holograms appear around your table. Um, but then you need to get more immersive for a particular part of the meeting. And then you hit the button and you fully go into the metaverse. And now you're looking at, I don't know, 3D models of, uh, of of whatever that you're working on. And so I think that's the ultimate goal is that one device covers both realities. And so you'll start to hear the word mixed reality come up more. And But right now, they're, they're very separate, um, those two technologies. Yeah. Okay. That's super helpful. And you know what? I'm sitting here reflecting on all this and I'm learning too. I mean, I'm not, I'm not coming in here as the expert. I'm the question asker and hopefully the questions are somewhat intelligent enough to, you know, advance the conversation. Uh, but if you showed, you know, Carrie, what is this? 2022. So you show 2002 Carrie. Here is your podcast setup. First of all, what's a podcast? I don't even know. I don't, th- I don't know that they were around in 2002. I wasn't listening. 
And you're sitting at a remote location to your office. You run a virtual company. You have employees, not many, but you know, eight of them across North America. Uh, you're looking into your laptop, into a 4K webcam at two people, uh, one in Florida, the other, where are you, DJ? I'm in Virginia. Virginia. Okay, Florida and Virginia. Yeah. Um, and you've got your notes on a tablet device right over here. You've got your phone over here, and you're talking into a microphone. And eventually, this will be distributed on an uploaded YouTube channel and then distributed across people's cell phones to you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of devices, and people will listen. It's like, what? What are you even talking about? And, <laughs> and, and yet, you know, that is a world that we're all very familiar with. And in a few minutes, I'm going to go to lunch at a restaurant where it could be 2002, you know, like I'm still going to eat food. I'm still going to have a coffee. I get to do all that stuff. So are, are we looking at that kind of an evolution where things will be rolled out little by little and then, you know, one day it will sync up? I've read accounts. I think uh, Matthew Ball, he's a venture capitalist who has written extensively, you probably, your head's nodding, DJ. So you know who I'm yeah, talking about. Oh my yeah. gosh, his stuff is like, he writes books on this stuff on the internet. And we'll link yeah, to amazing. some of his articles. But he is predicting by 2030 or 40, perhaps we'll have all the technology to totally sync everything up. Um, are mm-hmm. we looking at a and decade away or two decades? Uh, per- perhaps. Uh, two decades seems far in a decade, but it seems like this technology is accelerating very quickly. Okay. Um, I think more f- quickly than we've seen other technologies in the past. I mean, the blockchain, like I said, VR, the form factor, those that are getting involved, it's just smarter companies, um, just more audacious companies that are just diving into the space. And so um, it could be 10 years out. It could be sooner just because the talent and the energy and the excitement behind this is really ramping up. But you know, you're talking about 2002, Carrie, but look, 2030, Carrie Newoff, you're going to have your NFT collection, right? Right. And you're going to sell maybe a quote from your blog, your powerful quoter, you know what I mean? And that's going to be part of your NFT collection and, and somebody's going to buy that and they're going to be able to come to your podcast, which is in VR or mm-hmm. perhaps in an augmented reality setting. And so there's that whole evolution of where things are going. And you might be in an avatar, you might be a physical person, but you know, uh, you're the things that we're doing today are not necessarily going away. Um, They're just going to be enhanced and they're going to evolve. So I want to come back to the technology in a little bit, but I want to talk ministry because that's both of your hearts. So for the business leaders, I know a lot of you involved in church space, uh, but you also have to think about it. Okay, I'm a restaurant. I got to sell food or, you know, I'm a gym. I got to help people work out or, um, you know, I'm an auto mechanic and I got to figure out how to service cars, you know more a computer technician these days than an auto mechanic. And that's where that's where our cars are going. Uh, but, you know, DJ, uh, you worked at a mega church and you said, I, I read this somewhere in my research, that during your years there, you're pretty sure you never really preached to a real atheist. And if you talk to a lot of mega church pastors, they would say, yeah, there is some sheep shuffling going on. There's definitely some sheep shuffling and, uh, you know, we talked to agnostics, but you're saying, I didn't speak to an atheist, but that changed when you put on the glasses and entered VR. So what happened ministry-wise when you started VR Church? Uh, VR Church, uh, yeah, I was part of a mega church, and, and in 2016, we left to go what we thought would be physical church planning. Mm-hmm. So that's what we set out to do. It was about the same time, uh, Facebook bought, bought Oculus, and we got into VR and entered into the metaverse uh, via Altspace, which is owned by Microsoft. Mm. And uh, when we got in there, I was like, well, this is amazing. Um, 
I, I just was blown away. I've never seen anything like it. You think you've seen everything. Um, and I was only in there a couple hours. It was a Friday. You know, we were shifting our lives into this physical church plant. But I thought, man, what if we did a little experiment and had church in this metaverse? And so three days later, I had my first church service in VR. Um, and I was so pumped because five people came to launch day. Now, a physical church planner would probably be devastated that only five right. people came to launch day. But I was so pumped. It was so exciting. But here's the thing that was my light bulb moment was the first visitor who came in. I didn't know if anybody, anybody was coming. But the first visitor who came in, he's an atheist from Denmark. And he said, hey, Pastor, um, I don't believe in God or anything, but I'm just really curious to what this VR church is all about. And that was like a, a light bulb moment. I'd never experienced mm. that as a physical church pastor and being involved in different ministries over 20 years. And so that was really just a powerful moment. And then that the better part of that year, I mean, I don't think I had a single, let's say, uh, a believer person that would identify as a Christian in my church for like a better part of a year. And then um, people started coming and attending. A little volunteer team grew. And it was May of 2017 where the light bulb came on. We we're like, oh, this is a, a real church. Like, uh, this isn't an experiment. This isn't a side ministry. This is the the body of Christ, the gathering um, with all the functions of of the church here expressing itself in the metaverse. And so when we had that little psychological shift in May of 2017, that's when VR Church really started to take off. How do you volunteer in VR Church? Um, so yeah, there's different ways. It's um, It's, you know, getting connected with the church, being a part of the community, and then realizing that there is needs um, you know, from greeting to prayer to teaching to small groups. And then um, when you create those relationships with people in the metaverse, which are very visceral, by the way, um, then you start to create those relationships and you start to see the need. You start to see gifts. You start to empower people um, with those gifts and, and put them in places that they want to volunteer and help, help out with. So there isn't necessarily a reinventing of the wheel when it comes to church and VR. Like, it's completely different. No, it's still about leading, shepherding, empowering um, and helping people to grow in their faith. And there's nothing different in the metaverse when it comes to that. The expression and the technology might be very different, but the spiritual core elements are still there. So, Nona, this has got to sound familiar to you because you've spent the last five years-ish of your life trying to convince church leaders uh, with some success that, hey, social media has to move into social ministry. Uh, what's your take on ministry in the digital space? I, I, and, and you and I have had this conversation so often in different forums here and elsewhere, Nona, where, you know, it still shocks me a little bit that pastors are like, yeah, but how do we get people back in the building, right? Like we're still on that chapter. And I'm not against buildings. I'm just like, no, the, the stuff that's happening online is real. Um, I'd love your comment on, on ministry in the uh, metaverse. Yeah. So um, at the risk of offending people, and I don't mean to offend anyone, um, I'm going to just speak very plainly as someone who is in ministry with my husband supporting a local church. I think the reason why so many pastors are uh, wanting people to come back to the building is because there is a level of ego involved with having people in the audience to hear me speak. And, and I think that's where, that's where a lot of, um, a lot of the hesitation has come from. And, and I'm giving you like what I've even heard, like pastors have said, well, you know, if I, this is before the pandemic, if I live stream, then people won't come to the building to hear my message. They'll just stay home. And I'm like, 
okay, but don't they need the Lord 167 other hours of the week like, <laughs> besides the one hour that they're in your building? And so I do believe that part of this is, I think we as, as, as pastors and leaders, we have to get to the place that we're very concerned about souls. Like when we are concerned about souls, we will go where the souls are. Matthew 4 and 19, when, when Jesus was gathering his disciples, he wasn't like, hey, come follow me and we'll have a whole bunch of people come to a building. He was like, no, come follow me and I'll send you out to fish for men. And so the theology of this is in the Bible. Like we don't have to make up anything new, but I do think that we have to decouple our ego from attendance. And, and mm-hmm. if we can do that, I think we will be so much more effective and so much more impactful. I love uh, DJ's story because I think about it. I'm like, we've never had an atheist come to our church service ever, but man, they need the Lord just as much as the people that come in the building. And so mm-hmm. I think we just have to do that. And and that's why I said, I, I certainly don't mean to offend anyone, but that's just my take. Um, and I will say too, we have a model for this in Acts chapter two. We know that when the Lord wanted to, to, to spread the gospel, when God wanted to spread the gospel, he caused the Holy Spirit to enable the Galileans who were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost to speak with unknown tongues and, and in unknown languages. Why? so that the people walking around outside could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what technology is all about. Technology is about access. And so God has given us this model. And so I'll champion it till my last breath. <laughs> no, no, I so appreciate you saying that. And I feel like two years into this pandemic and you know online church thing, we're still kind of where we were two years ago, a lot of the time where... <laughs> Yeah, I I was saying to some leaders today, it's like we knew the model was broken for the last two decades. Like if you look at every single chart, it's just a decline no matter where you look. And um, if people are really opting to stay at home, clearly some of them didn't see the value in being in the room that we even thought that they did. Now, is that too cynical, DJ Nona? Is that too cynical? Or like, (laughs) do we just have to go to where people are? Like, what's, what's the story there? Um, you know, I think that um, the physical gathering is important. I mean, our yeah. church exists entirely in the metaverse, but I think in the future, it's going to represent, uh, like uh, Dave uh, Adamson um, talks about the omni-channel approach. And so it's not necessarily going to be the focus of a Sunday morning event. It's one hour, it's from 10 to 11, um, that you're going to be part of a community. And it might be focused on virtual reality and the physical aspect might be part of it. And so uh, me and Nona were kind of talking about just how there's a little bit of fear thinking about what's coming up in the future. And so um, I, th- I think that it is tough because as church leaders, and I'm not being critical towards church leaders because I am one, but we've grown up in seminary systems and theological systems that were, we didn't have education in digital and virtual. That wasn't part of our you know seminary classes, theological classes. And so coming out of that, we've had to either evolve or you know adopt it, and then many have rejected it. And so um, but it doesn't negate the fact that a radical shift is coming and that we really need to be prepared for that. Hmm. Um, anything else on the metaverse that you want to talk about? DJ, one of the things I thought was intriguing, you said the successor to the mega church is the meta church. Can you explain that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, when I, with, I'm with church leaders and, and kind of casting vision, I feel like if you see him back to the future, Christopher Lloyd's character 
Doc is coming back to Michael J. Fox and saying, the future Marty, the future Marty is like hair sticking up all over. And that's what I kind of feel like as far as, you know, talking about how we're moving into the meta church, that the church is moving into this fourth computing paradigm. It's, it's moving into Web3, not as a supplement, but as a major force uh, coming into your uh, church or organization. So uh, one example would be, um, let's say right now you're launching, you talked about business leaders, uh, maybe a, you know, a car repair or you know, a law firm, and you have your website, you have your social media, you wouldn't think of not having those components. Right. And it's not too far down the road where people are going to ex- you know, meet you in your virtual reality experience or augmented reality. What are you doing to engage that? Because that's also going to be a part of your social media, your Instagram, your Facebook, and your VR, AR experience. And so that's coming down the road and that's going to be expected. People are going to want to pay in Bitcoin. And so it's it's one thing, I think, as business leaders and as church leaders to not completely ignore it because that's uh, certainly coming. And I think sooner than we think it is. Hmm. No, no, you're, you're shaking your head. You agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I, I think, DJ, what you said is so true. Like, no one would think to launch a church today without a website or a Facebook page or some sort of, you know, digital presence. Uh, and I do think that where we're heading, you know, look, the, the pandemic, I, I was looking at some numbers recently. And what it said is that on average, 40% of the people who are attending church before the pandemic have been returning back to church services. And so we know that before the pandemic, only 20% of Americans were attending a, a church service, only 20%. So 40% of that 20% is returning. That means 8% is returning. 92% are not. 92% of Americans are not going to a weekend worship service. And so I do think that uh, we have to be thinking, where do we need to be in order to meet people where they are? If in fact, we really do believe that Jesus is the answer to life's problems, then we have to be where the people are. And so I totally mm. agree with what DJ said. And I yeah. think I think I went on a little side trail around you, like I kind of got caught in some other thoughts. But when thinking about, you know, mega church to meta church, I just look back at our five years of our ministry in virtual reality church. And the experiences that we've had have been so compelling. And, um, you know, the spirit has just been alive in our community. And we've experienced God in our, in our environment, in our um, relationships. And so just experiencing that and just saying, wow, this is such a powerful tool. God's here. He's with us. He's, it's not just in the physical. He's sharing his love with people all across the metaverse. And it's so powerful. And um, I wish I could bring every church leader just for like 10 minutes into our church service and say, look, you know, many of these people are, are not of faith. They wouldn't identify as a Christian. And especially if you got to walk around and talk with them, you'll just see the stories and stories of people from all over the world. And we don't go, and this might be an exaggeration, but it feels like we don't go a week without someone saying one of the following. I've never been to church ever. Um, I'm an atheist, but I wanted to check this out. Um, You know, I went to church when I was four or five and I've never been back since. And so this tool, this opportunity is so unique and the technology, it's immersive and you marry that with an inclusive culture. And man, that's just a recipe, what I believe, for God to do powerful things in the metaverse. So, um, you know, it always raises theological issues, and you hinted at this already. Uh, and uh, when I was poking around doing research for today, some denominations, I won't say which, have have bans against 
doing virtual communion, etc. But you are baptizing avatars. Is that correct, DJ? Uh, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. We we do all the sacraments, the full functions of the church, and all its aspects are we express that in the metaverse. Yeah, and and yeah, just tell tell us more about that. Yeah, sure. Now, just a kind of a side note. I remember noting uh, when you invited me to Facebook to to talk with the church leaders, um, and I was this is before the pandemic, and we were some of the largest churches in America, very influential pastors, and I remember giving that um, uh, presentation, and it was so quiet. You could hear a pin drop, and I'm like, am I bombing? I don't think I am. The content's great. I'm giving this with energy. And then a church leader afterwards came and said, hey, listen, you know, we were quiet because we've never heard this before. And with v- VR baptisms, you just dropped a theological bomb. So we're just kind of taking it all in. And so I think that is a great conversation to have. Now, for us, I'll give you the, the short explanation. As an elder team, we got together, and as we saw life change, as we saw people put their faith in Christ growing spiritually, it was just the natural evolution to to the question of, do we do baptisms in VR? And as we took time as a leadership to think and talk about it, we said, yeah, for our for us, we view it symbolically. So in the spirit of that symbolism, let's absolutely do uh, virtual reality baptisms, put people in the water, celebrate rebirth, and, um, you know, never say never, but I don't think that the people that got baptized would ever have stepped foot in the church and have ever gotten baptized. Maybe they would have, but from our perspective, they wouldn't. Severe social anxiety, homebound, people in wheelchairs, we're bringing them physically in wheelchairs, but in VR, we're bringing them under the water. They're experiencing that celebration and they're coming up out of the water. And I remember one of the first baptisms baptisms we did, uh, a lady named Alina was crying when she came out of the water. We could hear her crying. And she said, I thought this would never happen. I thought I would never get baptized because she's homebound. And so that moment was just so powerful to see God at work in her life through like through the the ministry of VR Church, and then to see her get baptized. And there, there are some of my favorite church services ever. And again, it goes back to that Matrix quote, like, if you came to one of our services in VR and watched a baptism, I think your tune would change um, if, you, you know, one was hesitant about, uh, you know, sacraments and virtual reality, because they're a really powerful experience. So not to split hairs, because I'm not an opponent at all to what you just shared. But would you consider that person's avatar to be baptized or that person to be baptized? In other words, if you came to my church, was your avatar baptized or was DJ baptized? Um, You know, the way we view it and the way that we've viewed the experience is that person is getting baptized. Like when those tears from Alina were, you know, she was crying, that was her. Her experience, being baptized, feeling that, um, feeling God's love all around her and just expressing that through tears— that wasn't fake, you know. That wasn't, uh, you know, transferred over to a, you know, a code of ones and zeros. That was Alina in her spirit feeling the moment and um, experiencing that. And so for us, it's not the avatar; it's the individual. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's how we look at it. Because one of the questions, I mean, this is happening already in the internet as we know it. I'm reading Chris Ball's book. I think that's his name. Um, it's called The Social Media Prism. And one of the arguments we made, we have all these, you know, angry ranters online that we all know and mostly loathe. And uh, you would expect that that is their real life persona. And I'm not finished his book yet, but uh, at the part that I'm through it, uh, some of them are like the nicest people in real life. And they're just playing this game online where, you know, they're all over known as Facebook being the rudest you could ever imagine. 
but in real life, like there's almost this cognitive dissonance. So, uh, and one of the things I think in Web3, uh, at least in some of my research, is that we may be known by our avatars. In other words, I may not be Carrie Newhoff. I might be, you know, CNJ12389 punk or something like that. I don't know. I just made something up. And you're just known by by that name, but they don't know who that is. Almost like a gnome de plume in the 18th century, right? Like you look at the yeah. time of the founding of America, a lot of the founding fathers, uh, they wrote some pretty agitated notes, but they weren't under their real names. It was under some pseudonym, right? So uh, they're saying that might be coming back with Web3, what do you do when the real person, and I, I'm not I'm not picking apart Elena's story. I think that's a beautiful story. It gave me goosebumps. But, you know, when, when like, it, and th- this is part of the reason I'm doing this series is like, yeah, I mean, particularly with AI, the theologians are almost AWOL. Like, like where is the church bringing meaningful conversation and philosophical conversation, theological conversation into this space where we're populating it with technology uh, and and our theological impulse is just to, you know, reject it and go, ah, that's all sorts of crazy. It's like, no, 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 no. We need, we need some really nuanced thought here. So any thoughts on what, first of all, is that true? Are people dissociating from their real world identity in Web3 and in VR? Uh, and if so, what kind of issues does that raise for those of us who think about those things and care about those things? You know, in our experience at VR Church, it's we actually see that they're not disassociating themselves from their identity. They try to create an avatar that looks like them for the most part. I mean, there's right. certainly a few that are like, whoa, I can, you know, have spiky blue hair and, you know, that type yeah. of thing. But I can shave off um, a few pounds. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, yeah, when we... Um, when people create their avatars, it's very similar to their physical representation and their name as well. Um, and some might pick a fun name or they add, you know, Charles and, you know, uh, Monster Man or something like that. But that guy's name's Charles and that's what he looks like with brown hair and he likes to wear blue shirts. And so um, one of the criticisms we received early on is, well, avatars, they're going to be fake. Uh, they're not going to be transparent. It's going to be a very inauthentic experience. We found the opposite to be true. The anonymity of the avatar uh, develops a deep authenticity. There's something about this avatar where we're actually having very deep conversations. Uh, where uh, one story is uh, uh, after a, a sermon, a, a teenager came up to me. He was from Boston, and he said, "Hey, Pastor, I want to talk to you." And he immediately started talking to me about suicidal thoughts and depression. I had a friend who was observing VR Church for the first time, and he was like, "Whoa!" He just came up to you and just started talking about that, that just seems unreal. And as I've gotten used to it at that point, just there's something about the avatar and its anonymity where people feel very authentic. And so um, it's not fake. People, uh, people aren't, aren't being fake. They aren't being, um, you know, trying to trick, trick people into thinking there's something else. Um, surely you have that, but it's not like that we don't have that in the physical world. So I kind of make, uh, <laughs> yeah. with my pa- with my pastor friends, I have some fun. And I said, yeah, but there, there are people are coming to church in their avatar. They're projected best self to your church. And so we have fun back and forth about that. But um, Their self-righteousness, right? Showing up. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. yeah, they're projecting well, something there. And I was going to say, you know, how many, how many of us as pastors have received anonymous, uh, very not loving letters? <laughs> You Fair. know, uh, you know, it, it, yeah, it, it happens all the time. Um, I think, you know, web one, right. So people would put up 
all types of crazy, you know, text. Um, and, and they would not say who they were. And so, you know, that's really part of the human condition. So I wouldn't necessarily let that uh, be the stumbling block. And I will say too, um, you know, Meta as a company, like heading into this space, like we recognize that privacy and safety are paramount importance. And so, mm. you know, as we're building, we're building with those principles in mind, recognizing that there have to be controls in place to ensure that uh, we prevent harm and, and, and things like that. And so knowing that those are like first principles, that's how it's being designed. Well, and I think, you know, theologically, I'll, I'll do my amateur, put my amateur theological theologian hat on. But, you know, they're definitely uh, dissociative identities are not exactly a new thing. And, you know, I would think if someone's trying to escape into another world, we had that a decade and a half ago with Second Life, right? Where people that sort of had its moment or, you know, even who people are online, the Chris, Chris Ball, Chris Bale study is, is fascinating. Uh, I'd love to have him on the podcast at some point, actually, to talk about it. But, um, you know, isn't part of the work of the gospel actually making peace with our true identity to see the image of God or to find the image of God in who we really are? So if I need to be somebody else in the real world, if I need to be somebody else when I leave my house, you know, isn't part of the reach of the gospel to actually make peace and confession and repentance and, and reintegration to the restored person God made me to be. Like, yeah, I, I think that's not a question. That's just a statement. But anyway, I hope our theologians are rushing in there. We need I, to I, What you said was actually a very beautiful and very profound. And I think it has implications to the physical and the virtual. Um, and um, what virtual reality, I believe, allows people to do is to explore their authentic self. And so, like I said, we might have to project at church. We might have to project at work or at school um, to fit in, uh, to be accepted, or maybe to rise in the ranks, so to speak. Um, and so it's not like, like you said, it's this is a new thing that's happening. This is just part of humanity and human nature. Anybody who adopted a persona in high school or, you know, depending on your Enneagram type, uh, well, imposter syndrome. Right, a lot of us, a lot of us have felt imposter syndrome at different times. So these are just variations of age-old problems, and everywhere we go, we bring the problems of humanity with us. Um, anyway, I want to get back into the technology because Web three really is perplexing, interesting. DAOs, NFTs, blockchain, crypto. Uh, let's talk about NFTs because probably of all the elements other than crypto of Web three, NFTs kind of had their moment in the second half of. 2021. So people are arguing, you know, JPEGs are selling for huge amounts of money um, in the NFT community. And people are, are publishing art. Gary V has been sort of doing his V friends and, and that kind of thing. And there's a real argument about, well, what is an NFT? What can it be? Uh, do you want to give us a little primer on NFTs to the extent that, you know, you understand what they are to share for people who may be relatively new to them what an NFT is? Yeah, actually, I bought an NFT yesterday. Uh, Warner Brothers' new movie, the, well, not new movie. Uh, it's a Matrix series. The Matrix is coming out with their sequel um, mid-December here. And they released 100,000 NFTs, avatars based in the Matrix world. And um, so, yeah, me and my friend, we got on Discord call and we were, we had, there was only 100,000 and we got our, we were 5,000th in, in line and we were able to buy some. Um, and it's still being sold because there's like, hundreds of thousands of people is trying to get them. And so, you know, what is an NFT? You bought a JPEG of an avatar, you know, what's that all about? Why, 
Why couldn't I just steal that from you? But that's where the blockchain comes in and provides code behind that image to say that I am ownership, I have the ownership of that. And so a significant part of NFT, and there's many elements, but a significant part is that sense of ownership. You have a signed a ball, a uh, football of, um, you know, a famous football player, and um, you know that's significant to you. That's your ownership. Um, and so there's the same thing happening with NFTs, where we have a sense of ownership to, you know, media. It could be an avatar. It could be a picture. It could be a video. It really, could be anything that we can digitize and sell. Um, uh, you think of uh, like a Babe Ruth baseball card. Um, having that years ago and having that original and that ownership of that would be, you know, you know, celebrated in our culture. And so it's not going to be too long when, you know, these NFTs are part of our culture and you, ha well, you have the original matrix, you know, avatar. That's a, that's fascinating. And so uh, we're at the beginning of this emerging technology. It's kind of going crazy at the moment. And I think it's trying to find its place in this world, but I do think um, it's definitely here to stay and it's going to have a powerful impact in our community. And I, you guys are probably going to have a collection, you know, the Gary Muoff, you know, uh, NFT collection. I've thought about known, it. I don't know what yeah. to do with that, but yeah, I've thought about it. And I've also registered on Substack, uh, you know, which is sort of the, the, where a lot of writers are moving to, uh, but NFTs, mm -hmm. uh, Nona, what, any, any take on those? I have no take whatsoever because <laughs> I am still, myself researching and learning um i think there's there's so much to learn in the whole just blockchain ecosystem like i listened to a number of podcasts about it to understand um of course you know meta we have our own cryptocurrency um called libra and so oh i didn't um, know there's libra a lot to meta. learn in this okay. space i get it yeah, yeah yeah it is so um yeah there's a whole lot to learn in this space i have nothing to offer but dj yeah. did a great job <laughs> nft stands for non-fungible token non-fungible token mm -hmm. yeah just i, I yeah. don't think we'd mentioned that in this this episode so far but probably the easiest thing I've, I've thought about it because you're right like if i if i make an original piece of art and i sell it as a jpeg as an nft people are like well i could just take a screenshot of it right i'll just download to file, right? So why why is that special? And the analogy I got, very similar to what you said, DJ, is I have been to the Louvre and I've seen the Mona Lisa. Now, it was under glass. It was, you know, it was around a big crowd and everything. But I could take a picture of the Mona Lisa. Let's say I got midnight access and we could take it all away and I just took a really nice picture. Or I got someone to come in and nail it, like, like actually just do a beautiful representation of the Mona Lisa, and then I went out to sell it. It's not priceless. It's like, no, you got a picture of the Mona Lisa. You don't have the Mona Lisa painted, uh, you know, in the Renaissance. You don't have it. And I thought, yeah, that kind of makes sense, right? Like the original constitution is very different than the copies you saw as a kid in school or in some museum that was making the rounds in your town. If you actually saw it signed by Hancock and the others, it would be very different. Um, what about um, DAOs, uh, decentralized anonymous organizations? Um, any any thoughts on DAOs? This is the part that really got me thinking about power. Uh, so the whole idea behind a DAO, from what I understand, is that, and I, I don't understand much, is that it's a community-based organization that is very decentralized, and the whole Web3 is very decentralized, and uh, you belong to this community Voting happens communally, et cetera, et cetera. But any any feedback on DAOs? I mean, you you quite literally described it. 
Is that it? <laughs> um, okay. That's the extent. Yeah, that, that's it. That's the extent of my understanding because it's it's still like early phase, rapidly evolving. Um, but yeah, anything DJ wants to add is great, but you did a great job summarizing. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that affects the church. Um, I think there will be implications later on, and I'm not sure how, but I, I do believe at one point we are going to connect uh, to this uh, blockchain network that's um, you know autonomous and, uh, and serve uh, people that way through that. And I have some thoughts about that, but it's kind of like, um, you know, we, let's say I wanted to be an Uber driver. Um, I would have to download the Uber app and I'd have to, in, in one sense, be a contractor with Uber. But this decentralized experience, you know, there could be an, uh, a blockchain that replicates the Uber experience. And as a driver, I just speak to the blockchain and it tells it uh, through algorithms and artificial technology or artificial intelligence, um, you know, fluctuates the rates, tell me, you know, what the best time to go and um, you know, get a ride. And as a writer, I'm interacting with this and there's no middleman. And it's fundamentally, I think what Nona was talking about earlier, um, there's that, uh, there's no middleman, there's no barrier to entry. We have access to these things um, and the DAOs are going to be part of that. Here's a really simple, stupid question. How do you join Web3? Like, uh, like I'm not, like I got a computer, but I'm not part of the blockchain, right? I'm not mining Bitcoin or any crypto or anything like that. I'm not verifying transactions, which is part of the blockchain. Um, so it's sort of it's sort of a version, the next version of the question, where is the internet, right? Great question. It's like, nobody really knows. I mean, I mean, people know, but like, where is the internet? I don't know. We're on it every day. It's on our phones, but like, where is the internet? It's a good question. How do you actually join Web3? It's a question I don't know the answer to. And if we don't, that's fine. I mean, this is these are early days. We're just trying to get our heads around it, right? Yeah, I the, the thing I would say, and I'm I'm going to be really interested in DJ's take is I think it's it's an evolution of an experience, and so very similar to Web two, right? So Web two evolved out of out of Web one, and w- what we're calling Web two is really just the state of the way we leverage this technology that has evolved over time, and so I think Web three is very similar. It's it's evolving to a place where we will eventually our behavior, our attitudes, the way we function as society will evolve as this technology evolves too. So it's not necessarily a location; it's more kind of like a a way of of living and a way of organizing and, and operating as a society. Yeah, no, I think that's perfect. It's the diffusion of innovation, the time it takes for the you know, idea to fully you know manifest. So to think way back. Um, when, you know, the, the T-Mod or the, the Ford, the first car, and can you imagine showing Ford, hey, look at this, uh, this is self-driving. You know, it, over a over 100 years, uh, the evolution of that technology, the flying to the, white, to the Wright brothers, uh, the internet, it, all these evolutions take time. And uh, from where it started to where we're experiencing now is completely different. So Web3, the fourth computing paradigm, the metaverse, all this stuff is emerging. And so you have pockets and, and pieces of it and we're trying to define it. And so there isn't this fullness of here, here it is, here's what it looks like. But we see um, glimpses of it, we see inspirations of it, and we see where it's going. And we're imagining this world is going to look like these 3D persistent connected spaces. And uh, the term metaverse comes from a, a, a novel uh, snow crash. And that's where snow crash, tech yeah. geeks and all these things, you know, this is this world we want to be a part of where we go to work, we go to school, we go to church in this metaverse. And so, um, yeah, I think like, like Nona says, it's an evolving, it's an evolution. We see glimpses of it, but 
It's not here. Yeah, Snow Creation and Meta Player, Ready Player One are the two sort mm-hmm. of primers that that people talk about regularly. And by the time this airs, I will have read or watched them both. So uh, that was the Spielberg movie of a couple of years ago, right? Ready Player One. But uh, yeah, I guess that's I love a good Ready baptism. Player One. Uh, yeah, the book and the movie. It's, it's Hollywood. It's very sci-fi, but it gives that glimpse at a fundamental level of what the metaverse is. Well, okay. So everyone's head is spinning now, including mine. And uh, we will link to everything we talked about in the show notes. I'll make sure we put some Matthew Ball articles in there, uh, which again, I barely understand as I read through them. Uh, I want to link to some Tim Ferriss episodes that have been done recently that have been really helpful and equally confusing. Um, And I don't say that with any it's just like, you know, he's trying to get his around, head around it too. Uh, so yeah, this is new stuff for me. And that's what's fun about podcasting, right? We could we could show up 10 years from now and go, hey guys, here what happened. here's what happened. Or we can kind of be on the front edge going, yeah, we don't fully understand it either, but we're participating and dabbling and trying to understand it. And we're part of this thing that is emerging. Um, I always try to be practical on these episodes. So I want to leave you with, I'd love you to leave our audience with a piece of advice because I'm guessing that 1% of the world or less is on the blockchain right now. Uh, a very small percentage is trading in crypto or even buying crypto. Very small percentage even understand what we're talking about, let alone, you know, what's happening with Web2. So for the leader who feels overwhelmed, the leader who perhaps this is a, a first initiation in this kind of thing. What What is a practical step that he or she could take? Yeah, I think that fundamentally it's the spirit of innovation that's kind of faded from our churches. Bobby Grinwald had this great quote, and I might not be saying exactly right, about how we've outsourced our innovation to like Apple, to Disney. And so the spirit of entrepreneurship, um, innovation, just experimentation seems to have left the church. And so I think that's what my encouragement would be. Uh, maybe a church leader is like, well, what do I do? Launch a metaverse campus? Do I, you know, sign up for the blockchain? Well, no, start experimenting. And I think that's really important to get into is just um, start exercising those muscles, get some Oculus or, excuse me, meta quests um, to try out VR, uh, launch a small group, experimental small group, uh, try that out as well. And so I think that spirit of entrepreneurship, innovation, and experimentation uh, needs to come back to the church and church leaders making space for that. Hey, you guys, I would love to try a VR small group. Um, you know, what would that look like? And letting people, because there are absolutely people in your church and your organization that would run wild with that um, and or would be super excited to be a part of something like that. And so, yeah, I think that's what my my advice would be. You know, I was um, I was reflecting on the fact that, let's see, I've been at Meta for about, four and a half years now. So I started back in, I think, August 2017. And I held my first, um, I used to do a series of roundtables, you know, in-person meetings with influential pastors and leaders on a quarterly basis. And I held my first one in March of 2018. And I started the meeting by asking the question, um, if your church could no longer meet in a building, how would you function? Well, so your and profit remember, is what you're saying, Nona. Really. Well, no, I just, I remember <laughs> the the look of people, on people's faces. It was one of like, what? Like, what do you mean? And um, I've reflected on that a lot 
over the last uh, year and a half, because what's interesting is there were several people who were in the room then who were caught off guard um, when when COVID closed a, a number of doors because they did not go through that intellectual exercise. And so my, I guess, um, encouragement to anyone who's listening is routinely go through that intellectual exercise because even though we may think, oh, well, you know, people are starting to regather. Let's just focus on the building. We don't know what's going to happen. We have no idea. We didn't see this, you know, COVID coming. We, we didn't see it coming. And so I think we have to lead with that question because that's the question that's going to open our minds to the opportunities to leverage all of these different technology platforms to fulfill the Great Commission. And that's why we exist. Um, something I've been saying for years is that it doesn't matter how many followers you have if those followers are not following Jesus through you. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the day, we're here to make disciples, not necessarily attenders. So if we're making disciples, that means that we want to make disciples wherever people are who need Jesus. So that would be my my encouragement. I love the emphasis you have on, on innovation too. And I, I think my worry, and there are parts of me that are very conservative on a number of different issues, but uh, you know, sometimes when you're conserving something that's broken, it's not the wisest strategy. And if the model has been broken and we're trying to, uh, like, you know, people have been voting with their feet and their beliefs and their deconstruction for decades now. And we're like, no, I don't really think so. We just got to get them back in the building. Right. And there's, there's a lot of me that's like, are you kidding me? After all the change we've been through, now we have Web3. But there was something you said, I think it was you, DJ, who said it was a diffusion of innovation. And I know a lot of the leaders who listen to the show are in their 20s and 30s and some younger. Um, When you look at what's really happening on the blockchain and in crypto and in a lot of the people who are very active in Web3, from what I understand, what you have is uh, the diffusion of innovation. In other words, it is not coming from some multi-billion dollar company. It's happening from people who are on their home computers and people who are coming up with new ideas. And maybe, you know, you don't have ultimate power in an organization, but maybe you can move beyond the pizza party in your youth group and do something fun with VR, or you can uh, start to move in this area and experiment and innovate where you are. And this will be like Web2 started as a bubble up and then became controlled by major corporations. And I think if I understand Web3, it is going to start as a bubble up, but it will probably, the way it's designed with smart contracts and everything, again, correct me if I'm wrong, it's going to stay as a bubble up. It is decentralized, or at least it will be more decentralized than we are now. And that gives a platform and an opportunity for future leaders to say, okay, well, like, you know, my podcast is a good example. This was a hobby seven years ago. That's all it was. And, you know, it started with less than a thousand dollar investment. And now it's become this, this thing with 20 million downloads plus. I didn't expect that, but like amazing things can happen in this universe. And so I would just encourage you not to reject it, but to explore it. And better than that, experiment in it. We'll be doing some stuff on that this year, I'm sure, as a company. And uh, I don't know, any final thoughts as we wrap up? DJ, Nona? No, I love I love that that experimentation and really just empowering um, the people in your congregation to just run with something and you don't even have to call it something official because just a, as a part of megachurch when we launched something it felt like it had to be perfect it had to win um, branded but I think 
<laughs> yeah, branded, logo, you know, all this stuff. And so, and that's great, but there's this, you're missing out on this whole side where new stuff can come and we do need the infusion of the new. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's important, like you said, to experiment. Yeah, I, 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 first of all, Carrie, I'm so grateful for your, this to me is, is ministry. And I, I thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of this ministry. And um, the, the thing I would say for people to think about is um, if you're, if you're leading with, no, we don't need to invest in this new thing because we've been investing in this old thing for so long, um, even though that old thing is not producing fruit, you have to remember this principle of sunk costs. A sunk cost is something that cannot be recouped. And so you can keep throwing money at it just because you've thrown money at it in the past, but that doesn't mean it's going to become fruitful the more money you throw at it. So I think we do have to um, just really have a kingdom mindset, which is, look, if it's not fruitful, John 15, two, cut it off <laughs> and let's invest in, in where, where there's some growth. So so yeah, thanks thanks for having us. <laughs> uh, I appreciate it. Hey, before we let you go, any uh, good primer resources? Do you have a single article or a piece or a video or anything that you're like, hey, this is a really good place to start if you just want a quick intro. We'll link to some Matthew Ball stuff and other stuff as well in the show notes. But uh, anything, pardon me, yeah, I was going to say, at a, at a, yeah, I was thinking at a technical level, like the Matthew Ball, uh, some great uh, detailed reads about that. Um, as far as uh, ministry and virtual reality, uh, we have, we've had a lot of stuff out on the web um, and just been blessed with some media coverage from the BBC to Wired, like you said. And checking those articles out, I think, would be powerful, just Googling VR Church um, and just seeing what it looks like, uh, seeing some vision behind that. Um, and then at a sci-fi geeky level, just have fun with it. There's like like you mentioned, Ready Player One, Snow Crash. Um, those are a lot of fun ways to kind of, you know, experiment uh, with or experience the metaverse. And so... Um, yeah, I think those are some things to check out. Anything from Meta, Nona? Well, I, I would say that if you want to learn more about uh, kind of the vision of the company, um, Mark actually released his founder's letter um, early October. And so it's available on our newsroom and it talks a lot about the framing for our vision and our future and why we're doing this and what the contemplations are. So I would definitely encourage people to read that as well as there's a really great article written by a gentleman named Dr. Uh, Shannon Botcher, um, and it's called Can Silicon Valley Find God? And it's uh, in the New York Times. Um, he is an ethicist who works at the intersection of faith and technology. Um, so it's a really provocative piece. And I would just encourage people to look into that too. Oh, that's great. We'll link to the founder's letter and also to that piece as well. Uh, and then where can people find you? Tell us uh, where they can find you on the socials. And you both have great, great resources. Uh, <laughs> well, my my handle across all platforms, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, is at Nona, not Nora. So at Nona, not Nora. And you can find me there. That's great. For you, DJ. Yeah, for me, uh, yeah. Facebook is DJ Soto. Uh, Instagram and TikTok, DJ Soto Live. Um, and on Twitter, it's DJ Soto. So Awesome. Well, I can't thank you enough. I'm glad we've had this conversation and thanks for being part of the future series. And uh, I'm going to be very excited to have this conversation again in six months, a year, two years, and see where this has gone. And hopefully we're doing some innovating in this space as, as you both are. So I really appreciate you both. Thanks for going first and thanks for being willing to uh, explain it to other leaders and bring us all along. I appreciate you both. Hey, thanks, Carrie. Thanks for having us on. Thank you, Carrie. 
well, that was a little mind bending, wasn't it? <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, Life Church also opened up on the metaverse. I'm going to talk to uh, Bobby Grunwald and Craig Grishel about that on the next episode. And uh, then we're also going to talk a little bit about crypto. I know there's a lot of competing opinions on that and uh, basically a brand new fintech solutions for churches and businesses on crypto and stock donations, which is going to be really interesting. You're like, what? Um, yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. Vance Roosh is coming on board with that. And then I'm also talking to Max Chafkin. Max is a journalist and the Bloomberg Business Week editor who has followed tech for a long, long time. And we're going to talk about the unintended consequences of technology and how tech leaders wield political and social power. He just released a bio on Peter Thiel and uh, the absence of theologians and philosophers in this space. Yeah, we're going to talk about all that stuff. So if you're interested in that, like I am, that's where this podcast is going. And then, uh, well, back to more regularly scheduled programming in the future as well. So I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. Uh, it's really fun to think about the future. It is uh, when you do your strength finders, future always seems to show up on mine. And want to thank our partners. Make sure you check them out. Uh, we curate them very carefully. And World Vision and Leader brought this episode to you. So you can join World Vision, David Kinneman, Danielle Strickland, and others February 15th, just a month from now for a webinar discussing brand new research on the state of pastoral health, you can go to worldvision.org slash carrypod. That's worldvision.org slash C-A-R-E-Y-P-O-D. And Leader is going to give you a demo of their people development platform so you can start leading effective one-on-one -on -one meetings. I do believe they're critical. You can check it out for your team by going to leader.com. That's L-E-A-D-R. Com. So the next episode is the, uh, I was going to say the one and only, but the one and only's, I don't know, does that work? Craig Rochelle and Bobby Grunwald, they've been pioneers in the digital space for a long time. Bobby pioneered version Church Online. Craig has been at the forefront. He is now preaching in the metaverse. So we're going to talk about that. That happened at the very, very last few moments of 2021. Also coming up, Vance Roosh, Max Chafkin, as I talked about. Dave Hollis is going to join us. We've got Jenny Allen. Francesca Gino, uh, Philip Yancey, Ian Cron, Bob Goff, and a whole lot more coming up on the podcast. And would love to meet you on some of the other platforms we're on as well. If you haven't checked out my website, kerryneuhoff.com, we have everything from courses to articles. Uh, the Church Trends post is still going strong. I released that at the beginning of the year. I identified 12 plus a bonus church trend for 2022. You can check that out at kerryneuhoff.com. And uh, yeah, also on the socials, I will be on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter on a semi-regular basis, as well as, well, other platforms like TikTok and LinkedIn. So if you're on the socials, make sure you look me up. I mean, either C. Newhoff or Carrie Newhoff on those. And just what a privilege it is to get to serve you. Uh, thank you so much for everybody who's made this podcast what it is today. We just celebrated 20 million downloads. It's mind boggling. And uh, we threw a little party on the social channels. And uh, a lot of you get some free coffee out of that and a lot more. We're going to have a big celebration at a bigger one, that is, at 25 million. And maybe, just maybe, we'll be out of this pandemic by then, and we can get together. Wouldn't that be amazing? Anyway, thank you so much for listening, and uh, I hope 2022 is treating you well so far. And I also hope our time together today has helped you thrive in life and leadership. You've been listening to the Kerry Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.